0: Hey, hello, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. Colter Nuwana's, as always, you can find this podcast at SkylineSportsMT.com. It's been a minute. It's October 9th. There's live football tomorrow at Bobcat Stadium. If you can't go and attend it, but we can watch it on YouTube. Hell, man, I'll take it. It's been 11 months since we got to see... Live football, last time I watched a Big Sky conference team from the state of Montana play. Montana State was playing in the semifinals of the FCS playoffs against North Dakota State. Seems like a lifetime ago and a blink of an eye ago, all at the same time. We have not been doing big sky breakdowns for a variety of reasons. We haven't had much to cover. I also have a daily radio show if you haven't checked it out. Two telling the wanted a one to FM ESPN in Missoula, or you can get it on YouTube or the live stream. So if you're an out of market listener, which a great deal of you guys are, really appreciate that. We have thousands of listeners that check in either YouTube channel, live stream, or the podcast every single episode. And that's really cool. Makes it so that our statewide angle is definitely worth it. You can also catch us live on SWX Montana Television, too. So if you're outside of the Missoula market, you can totally find a way to listen to Total Nuanas as well. But we do two hours a day, so we didn't want to dilute it by podcasting and stuff when we're still trying to figure out what to talk about. There's not a lot of sports going on. But now we have a little bit of stuff to analyze. We'll be bringing you Briggs Cat Breakdowns here for the rest of the fall and the winter here, breaking down Montana State and Montana Athletics. Briggs Cat Breakdown. The longest standing and most highly downloaded podcast when it comes to Big Sky Conference athletics, especially in the state of Montana, ever. We're the ones that first started this thing. We're really proud of that. So in this episode, hear from Guest Tutel, Ryan Tutel, Program Director at ESPN Missoula. we we'll break down this Bobcat scrimmage coming up. Uh, some of the broad storylines around the program and, and just what this last several months has been like just in terms of in, impacting the football teams and the state of Montana. And then we'll also hear from Brooks and want us too, a little breakdown of players we're excited about watching and, and uh, just the state of the program at Montana State. So without further ado, Ryan Tutel ESPN Missoula it is the Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, bud. Hey, hello. Welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. Haven't said that in a really long time. This has been weird. It's October 9th, though, and you know what's happening on October 10th? A Bobcat live, scrimmage? Live football yeah. from a Big Sky Conference team in the state of Montana, which actually is pretty much live football from a Big Sky Conference team for the first time, period. You look up and down the Big Sky Conference, been no sorts of quote-unquote fall ball at Portland State, Sacramento State, UC Davis, Cal Poly. Northern Arizona just started yesterday on October 8th, their first fall ball practice. University of Montana started a fall ball earlier this week. We'll get into that a little bit. But as far as a squad in the big sky, my only evidence that I've been able to find via any sort of reporting or social media or talking to guys that cover the programs, Montana State, they got it in, they got their full allotment of practices in it hasn't been a lot, it hasn't been crazy, but they will have a live scrimmage on Saturday. Ryan Tutel from ESPN Missoula joining me, and Gus, it's so weird because it's as if we have not actually seen a live football exchange, not even a game since last December. Mm-hmm. It's been full nearly. A full 11
1: months. Right, because there was no spring.
0: No spring game. Yeah. no. I mean, but there was a couple of spring practices, but we were stuck in Boise, and then that was the beginning of the quarantine, so then it was just nothing. We couldn't even watch anything. So I haven't watched like the teams that we cover in depth play live in almost a year. That is absolutely the most we've ever gone. It's been so long, it's almost become normalized, and I'm so excited to watch tomorrow, but also I just don't even know what to think.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it was funny, uh, Jeff Choate, in his – Press conference, uh, or his Zoom conference call, I guess I should say, uh, a couple of days ago, said sort of jokingly, you know, he was talking about, you know, we're excited to play. I think it's going to be a high level, and uh, we're looking forward to getting out there and and uh, letting people watch. Some bad football, (laughs) and he kind of he said it kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, But you know, first of all, generally, if you imagine this to be akin to a spring game, that's what it is. I mean, you're out there, you're you're running through your stuff, running through the kinks. But the thing I'm excited about about this game particularly uh, for Montana State is that he is going to run it like a football game. There's going to be a couple wrinkles that they're they're going to have. They're not going to have uh um you know play clock because they're they haven't you know worked on executing getting plays in in that amount of time not to say that they're just going to drag their feet about it but there's not going to be penalties I guess for going over play clock timing and that kind of thing and he also said the kicks are going to be an untimed down but Basically, first of all, it's not going to be ones versus twos. That's they, they did a, uh, a draft, so you're going to have mixed teams in terms of personnel. Uh, there's going to be a number of guys not playing for various reasons, you know, injury or, or COVID-related. Uh, he was very clear to say not COVID-positive, but, but, but COVID-tracing-related uh, reasons. But the guys that are out there playing are going to basically go live and, and they're going to play like a real honest-to-goodness football game. A referee is going to be out there, uh, you, know, you know, referring the thing. And so I'm excited about that. I think, that's a, I think that's the right way to go. And why not play, you know, an actual real football game? And obviously you don't want to get anybody injured. But here's the thing, man. If somebody was to go down – um, first of all, we, we hope of course that, that that doesn't happen. And, and if it was to happen, you know, that it's just, you know, your normal run of the mill bump and bruise or whatever, whatever it is, you know, coming out of this, the spring season is, I, I'm so, uh, lost about how coaches are going to approach the spring season. But the point is you're going to be ready to go for the fall of 2021 yeah. and so why not go out there and play a real football game and see what guys look like see what you know get a real evaluation i think as, as coach Schultz said it's not going to be something where we're going to sit here and make determinations about who our starters are but you start to get a level of your understanding of what kind of depth you actually have and what guys can really do and i think that's a good thing
0: we get a developmental angle of this too because i do think if treated properly and in, if treated through the long game and if next spring is not that high of a priority in terms of wins and losses, but is a high priority in terms of development. For programs like Montana State and Montana, I think it could be actually be a gigantic advantage and maybe something that could help them close the gap against North Dakota State because that is the ultimate goal for the teams that are the premier but not elite teams in the FCS because right now there's one elite team in the FCS and then everybody else. Yep. Format and everything details for this scrimmage, 2 p.m. kickoff, Bobcat Stadium. No one can go, so don't ask us. We're not going to be there. We're not allowed to go. The only people that are allowed to go are people that work at Montana State, people that have been doing the check ins with the football team. And then, of course, the football team and the coaching staff. That's it. But you can watch it. YouTube.com backslash MSU Bobcats Athletics. So that's MSU Bobcats, plural, athletics, plural. That's where you can find the live stream. If you just go to the Montana State Bobcats YouTube channel or just search MSU Bobcats on YouTube, you'll find it. But MSU Bobcats Athletics, that's where the live stream's at. Uh, two teams. This gonna be a live um, scrimmage, live contact, everything. Offensive coordinator Justin Udi is gonna coach the blue team, while defensive coordinator Kane Ione will coach the white squad. Uh, the white team, they'll feature Tucker Robick and Tommy Malat at quarterback. Malat was a guy that's getting a lot of. Uh, I'm not gonna say hype because they're not hyping him, but he's getting mentioned often. Justin Udy mentioned him on R2 Tell Nuano's show. Jeff Chope mentioned him in a Zoom call yesterday. Gatorade Player of the Year out of Butte, Montana. So I know he's a guy
1: that I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued and interested to see. The rest of the white squad. Would you say that he's getting lot of Run? <laughs> All day over here. All
0: day, baby. Uh, the rest of the highlights of the white team, Mark Estes and Derek Snell, those are the most two most experienced uh, pass catchers. Jahari Martin and Devine Tullis will probably be among the main running backs. Connor Wood, anchor of the offensive line. And on defense, Blake Flovin, Taton Gilman, Nolan Askelson, the premier linebackers on that squad, Lavelle Price at corner, and Jeffrey Manning, the Oregon State transfer, who's a guy I've been on my eye on at safety. I highlight the rest of the white. On the blue team, I think the most intriguing guy, the guy I want to see the most in a live situation is Matt McKay. Of course. North Carolina State transfer. If he really is 6'4", 210, then he's really fast for how big he is. If he's not that as big as what they list him at, he's still pretty fast. The highlights of the practices so far have looked pretty outstanding in terms of his athleticism, his ability to create. He also has great arm strength. Does he have great arm accuracy? I'm not sure. We'll find out. This will be the first look at that. But Matt McKay, Casey Bauman are going to be on the blue offense. Isaiah Fonte is going to be on the blue, but I bet you he gets very, very limited carries, as we know. They're going to redshirt him during the spring, at least. But that's where this whole thing becomes interesting. We'll get into that element in a minute as well. Saying you're going to redshirt in the spring isn't a redshirt anymore because everybody's redshirting in the spring, even if you play the entire thing. That's right. You can play every single down of the spring, and it counts for nothing. So now the narrative of Troy Anderson and Isaiah Fonseca are redshirting, that's not necessarily true in the uh, tangible terms of what a redshirt is. I just think they're going to get very limited action. But Isaiah Fonse, Lane Sumner are going to be the main ball carriers for the blue. Coy Steele, Willie Patterson, Lance McCutcheon the highlight, will highlight the wide receivers. Main offensive lineman could going to be Lewis Kidd, who's a senior. Zach Redd, who's a redshirt junior. And then on defense, you got Chase Benson, Kyle Finch, Callahan uh, up front that is. Callahan O'Reilly, Michael Jobman at the linebacker spots. And Tyrell Thomas, Ty Okada, the main highlights for the back end. There's a ton of other guys not listed there. They're going to definitely be guys worth watching. And Jeff Choate mentioned yesterday on his – Zoom call that Chase Benson he tweaked his back a little bit lifting weights so they're going to keep him out. He's an all league nose tackle they don't need to know what they got out of him. He's been a two year starter already. He's the, I, in my opinion he's their best offensive player, but that's because I love guys that play yes, nose tackle. Yes, you do. You are a bias.
1: You are <laughs> <a> biased.
0: <laughs> but they're also going to have John Clark. Uh, John Clark, the big grad transfer from UW, he's not going to play either. They're trying to keep the old dogs out, but also not get anybody. Uh, they wanted the teams to be even. If one team has Chase Benson, then the other team doesn't get John Clark. That's a huge advantage for the one team because Chase Benson's the best frontline guy in, in this scrimmage. So uh, I said Matt McCabe's definitely the offensive guy that I'm most excited to see. I'm also excited to see Tommy Malat as well. But anybody particularly that you want to see, I mean, you probably got your eye on the quarterbacks, too.
1: No question. I mean, that's, that's the area of the, you know. Where this team can make singularly the biggest progress, uh, the, the you know the most amount of progress in terms of what they get out of that, and that could be the because of the development of a guy that they already got, or obviously because uh, you know Matt McKay comes in and is is the real deal. Uh, I also, again, based on what they've done, why not continue? If a guy clearly separates himself and is just the best player, then fine. But the thing that that. Montana State clearly has right now is a diversity of skill sets, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they got they got Tucker Rovig who improved uh, over the course of last season, and you know, I think is is uh, you know confident and comfortable in the system that they're running you got matt mckay who is you know clearly no no question the best athlete the fastest player the guy who can create the most and when you talk about the the run game that montana state predicates its offense on what he could bring in you know in a plus one type of role if he can also throw the ball a little bit could be huge Tommy Malat, very intriguing. You and I both really like Tommy Malat coming out of Butte, and to hear the number of uh, coaches who unsolicited have dropped his name, you know, as a guy that they're really intrigued by. Who knows if he gets a couple of looks? What I'm saying is, why? You know, they've 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 platooned a ton at quarterback over the last couple of years. Sometimes it's because you've it's felt like because they couldn't find the guy that they wanted to have. Also, though. Why not just keep running everything you know, with the kitchen sink when you talk about what you're doing offensively? I mean, you, uh, you bring in Travis Johnson and let him run. Well, why not have multiple packages for multiple guys and just be like, this is what we're going to do, and they're never going to know what hit them.
0: I mean, I really don't think that even – say Matt McKay was the absolute best quarterback in the big sky, not even close. Say he's better than Eric Berrier, straight yeah. out the gate. I still don't think they'd play him every snap at quarterback. I agree. I still think that they would have a they they they're gonna Montana State's gonna play at the bare minimum ten to twelve snaps of another guy than their starter at quarterback always
1: the only the the the, the only thing that I sit here and go you know what's what's totally opaque to me is what does Justin Uti think you know I mean right. he's in here but then the other part the,
0: off, the other part of that equation is does it matter what Justin Udy thinks?
1: Well, yeah, it does matter. But, but what does Justin it matter Udy to think?
0: Jeff Cho? I mean, it obviously matters what he thinks. But does Justin Uti have any sway over Jeff Choate?
1: Yes and no. I would say all the way no if he was if if he was a defensive guy. But right. <laughs> I think on the offensive side, I mean, you bring him in because you like his ideas. Now he's a first-time offensive coordinator at the Division One level. We know he's done it at the D two, right? He was, a, and obviously he's been at Texas Tech, and so he's he's. He he's seen a lot and learned a lot and is is a bright young mind by all accounts. There's no question Jeff Choate is going to be influential in terms of deciding ultimately what it is they're they're going to do and how they're going to do it. But I do think that Justin Uti going to be a little more autonomous than you might think in terms of what they do offensively, and mm. that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that they won't do exactly what you're talking about which I think they will. Have mult like even if they have the best quarterback in the league they're not just going to play one quarterback but I think regardless of what guys turn out to be I think they're going to really use that to their advantage and and run multiple guys out there for multiple different sets and 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 looks to maximize the skill sets that they have. The notion
0: that if you got multiple quarterbacks you got no quarterback I think is dead in College football, especially small school college football like this, I, I think if you're pulling, if you're just if you're pulling guys, that's different than rotating guys. Absolutely, yes. They they pulled Casey Bobbin last yes. year. Yes, he never really got back in the flow. No, they also didn't really need him to because him and Tucker Rovig are so similar. If you're going to play multiple quarterbacks, you play the other quarterbacks as Kevin Cassis and Travis Johnson with Tucker Rovig. You don't go back and forth. if you're rotating Casey Bauman and Tucker Ovig, you're not rotating. That's right. But if you're rotating Travis Johnson and tra- Kevin Cassis in for Tucker Ovig, you are.
1: Exactly, and and that's that's the thing that you gotta that that is such an important distinction to make. When you name a starter and go, this is our guy, and then somewhere along the line you go, okay, we're we're going to, we're we're picking a different guy to be our quarterback now. That is not a rotation, but when you have multiple packages that are, okay, when we need to do this, when this is the type of offense that we're running, when the defense shows us a look that we like, that we think we can take advantage of, with this guy, this is this is what we're going to do. When we need this to get accomplished, when we think that this is the way that we need to get it done, then this is the guy, then this is what we're going to do. And the thing that I've never really understood is is the old, you know, like one series for guy A, one series for guy B, and back and forth. I think that's asinine. Stupid. But what I do get is, okay, we've attacked the offense or the defense a certain way for for this amount of time, and we think that they're susceptible now. We think we've set them up for this, and now we're going to go out and we're going to run this within the flow of a game. And you know what? It might be even game to game. You know, we talk about the diversity of offenses in in the Big Sky Conference. Well, there's a there's a significant diversity of defenses too, and what Montana State wants to do, they're always going to run the ball. But there's a lot of ways to run a football. And how how that expresses itself could be game to game. And so I think you could find a, a situation where this week it's McKay, this week it's Rovick, you know, this week it's both of them and maybe more. You know, so I, I, I think all of that stuff is absolutely on the table. You know, one thing I do expect, though, is this spring to actually see Tommy Malott get run because absolutely. why not? You know? Exactly, the, and, but this comes back. This is what I want to know from you, Coulter. If they line up and play this spring, yeah, we've heard eight game schedule. We've heard six game schedule. Whatever there is, as of right now, an FCS national championship playoff that yep. exists and is But there's it's a zero year, and we know that both coaches in the state of Montana are absolutely dialed into the fall of 2021. That is what they are looking to, not not this spring. And I don't. And and so my question is. If you're playing a truncated but still, quote-unquote, regular season in the spring that has a national championship and a playoff element to the it, 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 to it, what is how, how do you orient your team in terms of saying, okay, yeah, we're all about this, we're all in, we're going to go play for a national championship, we're going to try and make the most of this thing, and if we win it, we are national champions, and we're getting rings, and we're getting a trophy – but we're not going to play this set of guys over here because what we're really doing is ramping into the 2021 fall. Yeah. So you have—I don't know how you attempt to sort of toe the line of we're all about this regular season and we're going to go out and we're going to we're going to get it done, but we're going to play the freshman that you know at quarterback, for instance, or we're going to sit a bunch of guys that could play but we want to make sure they're absolutely ready to go. I mean the message that you're sending is obvious like this season, this spring season is merely a get ready and get right for the fall and you know and, and maybe they say that explicitly. Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to we're, we're going to go 3 and 3 probably this season if it's a six game season, but we're going to get so much experience to a bunch of kids who wouldn't have otherwise gotten to have it. And we're going to be so ready and so physically prepared going into the fall that we're going to just crush everybody. If you just say that that's what you're going to do and you use this as a throwaway, quote unquote, throwaway, then then maybe that's okay. But I have a hard time imagining coaches actually doing that because they're so geared to we are here to win. I think
0: we've seen college football and just college athletics fall apart in front of our eyes just in terms of the cancellations or the reschedulings. I think that is the one thing that maybe gives a little bit of foresight to guys like Jeff Choate and Bobby Houck. Um, Here's the thing. You have to analyze it from an internal basis and an internal basis alone. You have to treat every single football playing opportunity between now and next August as are we getting better ourselves, period, not results-based externally. I think that every coach in the Big Sky, including the two in the state of Montana, would tell you, if I told you you're going to go 0-8 and then win the national championship in the fall, or you're going to go 8-0 and miss the playoffs in the fall, they would choose the first one. Well, of course, yeah. Even if you win the national championship in the spring, you no, no one wants that over a national championship in the fall. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where you, you go. I think you do operate. I mean, here's here's the fact of the matter if you're the Cats. Here's how you look at it if you're the Cats. Troy Anderson ain't playing in the spring, period. So you should load up as much as you possibly can for Troy Anderson. And Isaiah Fonseca is probably not playing much in the spring either. Load up for those two guys. Have everybody else operating at their absolute highest level by the time those two guys are back. Because those two guys are two of your best players. They're going to be two absolutely huge keys towards you making a run. Yeah.
1: The other thing, too, and this is where it really benefits Montana State, and it can, too, to Montana as well with the graduation of Dalton Snead, but you you really can and, and need to dial in your quarterback. Yes. And you can. And
0: that's where this this weekend is, is pivotal because I do think that I mean, Chaud also mentioned some younger defensive linemen that are going to be sitting out. Tua Areta, who's a guy I was excited to see. Blake Schmidt, guys like that. The line play, the Montana State, their offensive line, they know what they got in Lewis Kidd. He's not going to take 80 reps. He doesn't need to. He's he's a four-year starter. Zach Redd, Connor Wood, these guys are multiple-year starters. They don't need all these extra reps. The linebackers, you don't you want them to get a, a few reps, but you don't want them banging and hurting themselves. But the two places you can really evaluate at a high level and get a ton of reps for a ton of guys – without very much risk of injuries, or on the perimeter. So the wide receivers versus the DBs, because as we've seen in the NFL, and you and I have talked about two tell Nuanas extensively, so much of the injuries that are happening right now with NFL wide receivers have been muscles pulls only because, not because they're not in shape, they just haven't gone against a live body. Yeah. More live reps for the DBs versus the wide receivers, that's good. And then the quarterbacks, how do they operate? It's obviously not going to be a full live situation. You're not going to have Chase Benson collapse in the inside of the pocket on you. But you do get a chance to get in the flow when it's a pressure situation people are watching you the coaches are watching you so i do i agree i think that that's where the quarterbacks and the guys on the perimeter that's the biggest point of evaluation for me it, to me what i'm going to watch this like is the opposite of i usually how i watch football i'm going to watch this like a 7 on 7 yeah. and not watch much of the line play cuz i think the line play is going to be pretty standard i doubt like they're going to allow them to blitz or anything like that yeah even. i
1: think you said that that each defense gets one exotic blitz to use right yeah. so
0: yeah there, it's not going to be a true in the trenches, but on the perimeter, it could be pretty similar to what it actually is. Yeah. The other thing I want to ask you about, we'll get you out of here. I think that there's a, the way that Jeff Choate decided to rebuild this program, he knew he had this core of Montana guys that the guys that were going to stay were going to be the guys that were going to be the most bought into what he was selling, mm-hmm. even if he didn't bring them in. And you saw that the last two years, guys like Zach Wright and Tucker Gates, you know, guys like uh, Derek Marks and Bryce Dirk, who i guess he brought in—but Mitch brought Logan Jones, Josh Hill. All these dudes were the last class of Rob Ash. They were the—it was kind of a line in the sand when Jeff Joe took over. It was like these guys were like, "Oh, I came to play for Rob Ash. I'm out. I yeah. don't—I don't like this new thing." But the other guys were like, "This is what I wanted all along. I just wanted to play for the Cats, and now we have this coach who's like what I hoped the Cats were going to be like." Yeah. And so he was able to ride guys that he didn't even recruit. He definitely developed them, but he didn't recruit them. And the leaders on his team by and large have been mostly guys he didn't bring in. He did have the Kevin Cassis and Travis Johnsons of the world. But most of the guys he had on the squad are guys he did not recruit. But when you build your when you rebuild your program with the foundation being the core of the guys you inherited who are just so happy that you are there because they fit into what you want, you fit into what they want. And then you fill in the ranks of the depth with your guys, but in this scenario, by and large, the majority of the really good players that he was able to fill in have been transfers. So then you get to the situation where you're in year five. A lot of those transfers have moved on. That's here nor there to me. A lot of those entrenched Montana guys have moved on, but they still have a lot of Montana guys because they're 4-0 in the Cat Grizz game, so they've been able to make huge waves in-state recruiting. And you still have guys like Troy Anderson, who you did bring in and you have developed. Guys like Brody Grebe, who, by all accounts, I'm, that's a guy I'm really excited to watch. I think he has a chance to be a special player. But their recruiting, by and large, especially when you talk about the national evaluations of it and the internal evaluations of it as well, the last two recruiting classes have been significantly better than any recruiting classes they've ever brought in. But they've been able to fortify their ranks so much that even though you were bringing in better and more talented players, those guys haven't gotten to play that much yet. That's the most the thing I'm the most excited for,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is like Charles Brown. By all accounts, is more talented than any receiver they've ever brought in, but he's a freshman. Where does he fit in? Can he break in the lineup? Jaden Smith last year, I mean, you watched him against Southern Utah catching a one handed touchdown in the corner of the end zone. You're like, well, you should play that guy. Right. But they didn't need to play that guy. They were able to throw him a touchdown and still preserve his red shirt. That's the per. That's where you need to want to get as a program. Demarius Hosey, he played. It wasn't just like they gave him a couple carries and garbage time in games. They had him straight up in the game plan in four games. He helped win them the game. I guess, excuse me, they lost to North Dakota, but he was their most productive back at North Dakota. Mm -hmm. He had multiple games where he had 10 carries for 78 yards, but he only played in the four games. So there's all these guys that you can tell just baseline have unbelievable talent. They just haven't gotten a chance to play. I'm just so interested to see then when we turn the page here and can the recruiting live up to the program? And that's where the developmental part comes in too because now you have a chance to really use – you can have position battles that have already been going right now in the fall that rage all the way through the spring, and you can have the most detailed hierarchy on your depth chart. Like By the time next fall rolls around, nobody can be bitching and moaning about who's getting more carries than who. You're going to have so many reps to be able to do it. That's what I'm so intrigued to see – where the pecking order, there's some guys that are not going to be overtaking. You're not going to overtake Isaiah Fonse. but what's the what's the running backs look like? Because Liam Sumner was good at times last year. Shane Perry was good at times last year. Now you have Hosey in the mix. You have Elijah Elliott in the mix. You have all these explosive guys, and I just think they have a chance to be like so deep and so stacked at certain positions.
1: Was there a question in what, there? What are
0: you? What, I mean, what what do you think of <laughs> that? What do you think of that element? I mean, because Choate has proven he's a recruiting machine, but so many of the guys that he's had produced for him have been either transfers who he had previous relationships with or guys that he inherited. Is this the first true evaluation we have of Jeff Choate as the combination of recruiting and development?
1: That's outside what the formula that's already been used. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I think that this will be – I think the way to evaluate coaches right now is not right now. I think it will be sure. in a couple of years, uh, and it won't be related to how good a football coach are you, how good a recruiter are you, how good a development guy are you. It will be how good were you able to navigate an unprecedented circumstance and situation that lasted you know months to a year-plus yeah. length of time yeah. to create both within the numbers of scholarships that you have, the number of players that you have, the zero year that you're getting – and, and use all of that to your benefit yeah. rather than your detriment. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be the best they've ever been mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Mm-hmm. 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 Because they are getting an extra year for everyone, and all the dudes that were supposed to be coming in in 2021 and replacing the seniors are just coming in and su- supplementing the seniors sure, sure. for everybody that stays. So I think that right now uh there's some teams that it benefits more thus us be clear about that, or that it has a chance to benefit more. But the how it comes out in the wash between the spring of 2020 and then the fall of 21, 2021 and the guys that graduate and the guys, you know, the logjam of players that will be coming up and how you sift through that, your depth should never be better. Are you able to, you said, you know, reps shouldn't be an issue because you're getting this. That's true now. It won't be true coming up and there's going sure. to be some kids who get there're going to be guys that play six games and are contributors and score touchdowns and make sacks in the spring they don't see the field again for 2 years no question are you able to keep those kids engaged are you able to keep them you know bought into what it is that you have i think that will be the the big determining factor in terms of what what coach what coach is are 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 doing the best right now and frankly what coaches are even still in place? You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be opportunities that come up. You know, in in between 2022 and 2025, for a lot of guys, do they elect to take them? And 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 where does that leave a program? So, um, that's the stuff that you only will find out in the long term. But right here and right now, uh, I think that that both Montana and Montana State um, have an opportunity to fortify. To create unbelievable depth like they've never had before, but that's not that's not just for them; it's for everybody. So, can they do it better than everybody else? And and I feel like there's a chance that they can. Oftentimes,
0: too, I think that we think that the the narrative within a program, the trends within a program, the identity of a program, all those things are just they're they're just flat or or they're just straight mm. rather than meandering. Jeff Cho addressed this on his Zoom call. I asked him. I said. When you're running a developmental program like you are, how essential is it to have player retention? Because if you were to look at what they've done, Choate's a recruiting machine. He's always going to bring in more guys than he ever even needed. He's going to out-recruit and over-recruit every single year because he just knows how to bring in 30 guys. All, all. I've never seen anything like it. There's never going to be this class where they just signed 15, 16 guys because they just couldn't get the commitments they'll get 30 if they need 30 period but he himself admitted said we didn't do a good job with our the the classes that are going to be third year sophomore and fourth year juniors we don't have a lot of guys in those classes because we had so many guys leave the program to me though the the most and and who knows what the, there's so many different things that could go on within a program that causes those things i mean Assistant coach movement. You know, a guy like Ruben Beltran, for example, a quarterback. Like He came to play for Bob Cole. Bob Cole gets shown the door, so Ruben Beltran moves on. That There's it, nothing to do with the program. It's just you came for, to play for a coach. Ty Gregorak had a lot of guys on his side, recruited a lot of guys. Okay, Coach Ty moves on. Okay. Coaching staff internally influx flux causes for a lot of roster movement. But then, you know, the way that your offense evolves, maybe the position that was supposed to be the fullback, now that's not used as heavily. So guys that are fullbacks, sometimes they leave. Or sometimes maybe you just, I think that Coach Choate, it was a moving target for him, specifically the absolute perfect fit for the type of guy he wanted in his program that both fit his program as well as Montana State as a school, as well as Bozeman as a community. Now I think he's honed in on that target, and he's Mm. hammering the bullseye now. Mm. Because you've seen way less. To, To me, the number one knock on their program, broadly, was the amount of guys that were leaving during the middle part, even though they continue to get better and get better and better. But now I think you can say twofold. One, Choate is just a my way or the highway. Like if you're not in, it, it's over. There's the door, buddy. You're gone. And I think so. I think that he was continuing to weed out until they found this perfect mix of guys. But I think the most telling part about this is we're enduring a pandemic where you have half of your rosters from out of state and the guys are choosing to be in Bozeman, live in Bozeman. They're not leaving. They're not going home. They're not leaving the program. They're not quitting football. They have almost perfect roster retention over the last 10 months. That is the testament of what Choate wants to build as
1: a a family-oriented program where kids want to be there. One thing I think is important is if you find a a kid that is, is a great player who's from a place that is one of the urban centers who's never been outside the city that he comes from and never been never been in a rural setting and certainly there's rural settings and then there's Bozeman Montana <laughs> right. you know yeah, and, and
0: Bozeman's an urban epicenter in a rural place right it,
1: it well and I mean let's put it like this it's different than you know say a ranching town in Nebraska yeah. for sure but it's you know when you talk about you're leaving you're leaving the ocean and going to the mountains. I mean, even that is drastic. You're leaving the temperate and going to the cold. That is drastic, and you're leaving the diverse and going to the white from a population standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what that's what it is. What I'm what I'm saying is, when you're developing a family of guys, you can bring in a guy who's an individual and ha- graft him into a group of people that don't look like he looks, that come from a different place, and he comes from by and large and have it work, but also the way to do it, it seems to me, is to get a group of players who all have some of the same experiences that are very different from the ones that they're going to have in a place like Bozeman, Montana. And by the way, I emphasize different, because the the, the experiences you can have in some of the urban centers are some wonderful experiences. I understand there's some negative ones too. Well, guess what? The same is true in Bozeman. The same is true in Missoula. You can have some great experiences, some things you never saw coming when you come from Compton, when you come from the Bay, when you come from Seattle and you come to these places. You're going to have some wonderful experiences that you never expected and also some negative ones. Like, that's just the nature of it. If you are living your life, playing football, going to school, and you can connect with other guys who know where you come from, who have the same background that you have. That's where you get the familial aspect. How many guys on the Bobcats are from Compton, California? Are black are black players from from the city. There's a there's a significant number of those guys. And there's obviously a significant number of white guys from Montana and other places as well. You bring them all together, you're not the only one though. Nobody's the only one when they get there. Yes. You know what I mean? You have groups of players that are very different from one another, and when they come together, they can buy in together because they have other individuals that they are with and can be close to, and then you can then you can feel comfortable sure. because you're not the lone wolf in a, any situation that you have. And I think that that is is, is important. So you this find is a, this co- is
0: so important, especially from the cultural background come from too. We've seen so many great Polynesian players that have come. That's right. to both Montana and Montana State. And like, I know that Coach Cho, he, he made an effort. He said, I know that guys from Polynesian backgrounds are so family-oriented, so we're going to find a big house, and we're going to put all the guys from Polynesian backgrounds mm-hmm. in the same house. And then Josh Tafalila, our old offensive line coach, we're going to make sure he lives right down the street
1: <laughs> so that they can go up to his house and he can come down to their house and everybody knows everybody's okay. But I, I, I think, you know, to have – if you have one guy from Compton who shows up, you can bring him in and he can live in a house and be friends and this and that, but he's not go- – There there there's a, a complete disconnect – when he's living in a house with guys from the state of Montana, he's learning a lot, they're learning a lot, that's great. But also, where do you go to when you just need to like feel like home? You know what I mean? When you need to, to just know what, you know to, to have somebody who can relate to you about how different the experience is that you're having. Well, now if you've got four or five guys that are from the same community, from the same city, from the same part of the country, you have somebody to, to breathe with, so to speak. And if you don't have that, it you you could get homesick, it could be a struggle, it can be harder to do even in a wonderful and welcoming context of of you know a family style team that you are a part of. You just need to have that and I think you see largely at Montana state you see that. And I think that is important to the way that it's being built. And I don't know if that's by design or if that is sort of incidental because they've been able because you you know there's pipelines. You know, coaches at certain schools or whatever, high schools and stuff like that. You bring guys in, but uh, I, I think that that just adds to the experience for everybody.
0: Well, Joe said that yesterday too. He said that. Experiences these guys are gonna remember the most are the the horrible times that they endured together, right? Like, you don't go tell this epic story about that one time me and you went and had a beer in the sunshine and then went home and took a nap. You well, know? I do, but when you're telling the glory days stories twenty years from now about yeah. football, you're gonna t- remember when we were down in the fourth quarter of Missoula against the Grizz. Remember when? We had to take an ice bath after we practiced in the morning in March after an eight degree practice. You know, you remember how terrible winter conditioning was? Like that's what you talk about. Yeah. You remember when this guy puked because winter conditioning was so hard? <laughs> like you're not like remember that one time winter conditioning was easy? Like yeah. no one ever remembers that story. Right. It's always right. the emphasizing the shared uh, tough experiences. That's what brings people together. Gus, it's fun doing the Big Sky Breakdown. What a with deal. You. Well, uh, Montana, like I mentioned, University of Montana, they started practicing earlier this week, so we'll have a little bit of a Big Sky breakdown uh, upcoming. I don't know when they're going to scrimmage or what that's going to entail, but we'll give you uh, si- similar thoughts on where the Grizz are at because when you talk about it, there is some parallels. Grizz have had awesome r- roster retention during this time. They've been going through a little bit more stuff than Montana State just because of the pandemic, and I think part of that's just the city that they live in, and there's just a lot of different factors that are going on here. Uh, but I think Bobby Hawks did a great job too of returning some people. But Montana State, two p.m., Bobcat Stadium. You can you can't go, but you can live stream it on YouTube. Just go MSU Bobcats Athletics, or just search MSU Bobcats on YouTube. And we'll have a recap for you next week on both Tutel and Nuwana's, as well as here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Ryan Tutel, one ESPN Missoula. Thanks Word. so much,
1: dude. Yeah, man, it's fun. Hey guys, Ryan Tuttle here for SkylineSportsMT.com. You know, when we brought Coulter on a year ago, it was a huge boost to ESPN Radio because no one knows more about the Grizz and Cats than he does. But Coulter is a journalist first and started Skyline Sports to cover the big sky explicitly full-time with no corporate interference, just the sports teams and people you care about unfiltered. I'm in the sports media, I understand the landscape, and I can tell you, there is simply no better sports journalism done in the state of Montana than that of Skyline Sports. Improve your habits. Go to SkylineSportsMT.com.
0: Welcome back into the Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter Nuanas now joined by Brooks skyline SkylineSportsMT.com. That's where you can find all of our content on Big Sky Conference football and all other sports. We haven't had a ton, but we've been trying to get you at least a couple pieces of content every week, but we have not done a Big Sky Breakdown in quite some time. Brooksie, welcome back. How you living?
2: Yeah, I'm good, man. Sorry to all the folks up there that, Support us and follow us. I mean, we're doing our best, as everyone knows. You know, it's very hard to run a sports media company uh, in year six when they cancel sports. It changes a lot of the dynamic. But we're here. We're going to break down some some football that's coming up, which I'm excited about. Um, But I'm doing very well, man. I'm doing very well.
0: Tomorrow, as already mentioned, Montana State, a scrimmage at Bobcat Stadium. You can't go. You can watch. Go to YouTube, MSU Bobcat Athletics. is how you find it. Or you can go to YouTube backslash MSU Bobcats Athletics as well. Uh, and either way, you can watch the Bobcats live and in person. And Brooks coming out of last year, uh, great run by Montana State all the way to the final four of the FCS playoffs. They hit a brick wall when they played North Dakota State. But it seems as if Chote has, uh, Jeff Choate has turned the corner in terms of reloading in the ranks of his program, and this is the one thing I said on tell and one as I also said a little bit earlier in this podcast with Ryan Tuttle. But the way that Cho decided to rebuild this program, he decided to identify the guys that were in the program already and really galvanize and and empower them. I think some of his best leaders are guys that he actually inherited, not recruited. Look at the first couple years, guys like Chad Newell, J.P. Flynn, and then he transitions to guys like Tucker Yates and Zach Wright. And then this last year, even guys like Tyrone Foninono, I guess that was two years ago, but there's Derek Marks, uh, guys like that, Josh Hill, Mitch Brot, Logan Jones, guys that were holdovers from the Rob Ash era, but that really bought into what Choate wanted his program to be about. He let those guys be the foundation, the leaders, the guys that the whole thing was built upon, and then all the other gaps on the roster he tried to fill in with plug-and-play guys, transfers that were ready to play soon or now, transfers that were high-level talents, guys like Bryce Dirk, Jacque Allen, uh, Travis Johnson. And when you look at what Montana State's done, they do have some guys that they recruited, they developed. Guys like Isaiah Fonse, guys like Troy Anderson, guys like Kevin Cassis. But by and large, it's been galvanizing the holdovers and then putting, uh, going and finding pieces that could fill in the blanks. Well, then behind the scenes, though, now, they've been able to stack two separate recruiting classes in a row of mostly high school guys, who I think most people would agree, at least on paper, have a higher baseline talent than what the program was when Chote inherited it. But they haven't had to play those guys, guys like Demarius Hosey. If Chote would have got a guy like Demarius Hosey at running back in year one or year two, I think he's one of, if not the main running backs. But because they had Afonso, because they had Logan Jones, he doesn't have to play last year. He plays four games. You can get him some reps, but he doesn't have to be a guy you ride. Look at a guy like Jaden Smith. A couple years ago, he probably would have been one of the starting receivers. But instead, you get a chance to just play him here or there, but you don't have to necessarily ride him. And so when it comes to Saturday, I think oftentimes we look at these things and we're like, oh, we're going to see the young guys play. And in the last couple years for both Montana and Montana State, the young guys is code word for the young and inexperienced and not really that ready or that good yet guys Whereas now, I think it's more like the young, inexperienced, but really talented and somewhat and potentially really exciting guys. What do you think of just the evolution of the program to this point and what we might be able to see on Saturday in terms of a lot of the young guys that maybe a lot of Bobcat fans have not got a chance to check out?
2: I think it's an interesting timeline, and the way you broke it down, is I mean, it's perfect in the sense that you you kind of flush out the guys you don't want you get some young guys, but you don't have to play them because you have some holdovers, a little bit of experience. But those young guys, maybe as freshmen, don't play. But as sophomores and juniors, they really are part of the program. And then you start to mix in this stuff of you start to get guys that don't have to play as freshmen, they redshirt, don't have to play as redshirts, don't have to play as sophomores. And you have guys like Lane Sumner, who is is Lane Sumner on the roster as a sophomore still? I think he is. I think which he sounds is. Sounds crazy as. I think he's a, a, a third-year sophomore, but to me, he's a guy that has a ton of reps at running back and is just now going to be a sophomore in this fall, which is amazing. He's a guy that like, you'd hope that good players in a good program don't have to play until their third year. And Lane Sumner is the kind of guy that has played a little bit, but now it's about to be his third year where he's going to get a, ton, a bunch more reps. They have quite a few guys like that. I like Kyle Ragg on the defensive line. I think he's going to be a junior this year but he's been a part of the program for a long time he's cut his teeth behind a bunch of those guys you named i believe when he was a freshman it was zach wright and tucker yates and those kind of players right he is now going to be a guy that has played a little bit sparingly mostly in practice mostly in spring but a guy that you have to be able to develop put some weight on and now understands the culture those kind of things are really strong there's also some jc guys as jc players junior college transfers don't necessarily work as well in a program that isn't established with upperclassmen and/or expectations. Yeah. If you bring if you're running a JC program, it doesn't necessarily work if you bring in five JC guys who all have to start and it's kind of given to them in a way. Sometimes you hit, you hit lightning in a bottle, but oftentimes that leads to a broken culture of guys who expect playing time but don't expect aren't expected to give results. But this is the kind of program now where there are an expectation of culture internally with some experience on both sides of the ball where you can bring in J.C. guys in the secondary. There's several different safeties who are junior college transfers on the offensive and defensive line where when they come in, they they kind of have to fall in place and work their way up. Those are the kind of junior college transfer uh, stories and experiences that build your program but also have success for those kids. So I like that they kind of waited to do a big splash of J.C. guys. They've always had some in the mix, but like right now, there could be two or three d- defensive starters that are JC guys, which is interesting, but I also think that the program is kind of ripe and, and in a good place to do that right now.
0: The four games you can play and still redshirt, I think that the common fan always thinks about guys like Demaris Sozzi or Jaden Smith that do that, Jahari Martin that do that. They They played last year. You got to see them in live games. And it wasn't just non-conference games. I mean, he saw Demarius Hosey in the North Dakota game. He was like the feature back. And they gave him a big role, but then still was able to maintain his redshirt. But I think that the part that I thought Jeff Choate did such a good job in last year, and his staff included, was bringing in some of those J.C. guys, giving them huge opportunities in gigantic moments in which they produced, but then still get a chance to redshirt it. Tyrone Marshall... He, I mean, that fly sweep play that they put in in November, I mean, he basically was the catalyst to them destroying Northern Colorado. He had a 28-yard touchdown against Montana that was basically the spark to send Montana State off to the races. Look at a guy like Tyson Regiball. That was one of the most fascinating internal battles that you had last year because he had this established defensive line anchored by these great players like Derek Marks and Chase Benson and Bryce Stirk and uh, Andre Williams. But then you see the the battles for the other spots. And so they were able to basically battle between Marcus Ferreter, moving him on the inside and letting him him get reps and become kind of like that fifth guy, and then guys like Byron Rollins. It was basically Byron Rollins versus Tyson Regiball to see who was more ready. And then they were able to say, okay, Byron Rollins basically won this battle. And he maybe didn't get a ton of reps, but then Tyson Regiball comes into this year as a fourth-year junior as well. So you're maintaining his eligibility with even though you got to see a pretty good body of work, what he could do, he played in four games, and I think that is a brilliant thing that this coaching staff has been able to do because now you basically redshirted a guy who's a, in his third and/or fourth year of playing college football.
2: Right, right, and a guy that may have played 12 to 15 games before he got to Montana State and played an additional four, but got gotcha, your redshirt. Um, and you know, I think of like, uh, the, the, it was a freshman last year, Tyler Bohannon, at, at corner. Yep, yep. He played three or, three or four games and then redshirted. And he's going to have a bunch of experience. I think he got hurt. I believe he, he, did, he, did, he did get extremity. hurt. Yeah. So, but a guy that like when you see him, are like, oh, damn, this guy's playing as a freshman. Watch him. This guy's really good. Still able to play in games and then redshirt. It's such a huge advantage. And if anyone who's listening isn't familiar with that, guys like uh, Jaden Smith, you saw them play for games. I think he caught a, a he pretty did. Deep touchdown. He I caught a touchdown against two. Southern Utah, right? And it was great play. Such a flash of brilliance for a young guy. And then you wonder where would he go? Why are not we playing him? Well, as a Montana State fan, you might be wondering why aren't we playing fantastic young guys like this? We well, have a chance to get him for additional four years. It's a really it's a unique rule. That's how long has it been in place? Just, for, just two is this
0: years. This, year? this will be the third, third year. year? Yeah. yeah,
2: third year. Right. Right. Well, and that, and I think that.
0: We've talked about this a lot. Jeff Choate has put a high priority on getting highly ranked, highly rated out-of-state guys, guys with two and three stars, sometimes even four stars as recruits. And so often the recruiting pitch, particularly when you're rebuilding a program, to get a guy like Jalen Cole, for example, who's coming out of um, the Trinity League in California, and he's a three-star recruit, he's he's a Mountain West-level guy in terms of who he has offers from, you say, hey, come here, help us rebuild it. You're going to be a huge contributor right away. I think that the biggest speed bump this roster endured was going into year three, coming out of year three, going into year four. When Montese had turned the corner, they'd played this really tough big sky schedule, they finished a game below 500, but they were in the mix with a lot of different teams. And then they're saying, okay, year three, this is going to be a year where we can at least press to make a playoff berth. And they had a bunch of recruits that were coming in, guys like Malik Putney and Dominic Brown and and Donnie Long and these guys that were supposed to be big-time three-star recruits. And then they get to Bozeman, and it, 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 you know there's a lot of different situations. Donnie Long gets homesick, he leaves. Malik Putney, he was a non-qualifier, he never makes it. Dominic Brown, he never makes it to campus. But there's a lot of guys that did and then in turn turned around and left right away, guys like Makai Metcalf, Kobe DeRue. You know, those guys were receivers, and they were kind of like – well, we came here to revitalize the passing game because of some stuff that was outside of their control, okay, Montana State doesn't throw the ball really anymore or haven't really at all under Jeff Choate, and they hit the transfer portal. And I think it's actually sort of ironic that they haven't gotten picked up by anybody, but that's here nor there, not to sit here and analyze their merits as players or that decision. But what I'm getting at is Jaden Smith's a three-star guy from a huge high school in the Dallas area. Daenerys McGee recruits him to Montana State, gets him up there, and I think when you when you're a six foot six guy who could have gone and played in a lot of different conferences and a lot of different schools, particularly in the FBS, you're sitting there and you're like, "Well, I'm a lot more talented than a lot of the guys in my position group." If you're sitting there and you're getting forced to redshirt, or even worse, they burn your redshirt but you don't get any reps, I think that it really kills your psychology, and it also gives these kids this opportunity to say, "I'm not getting what I was promised." I'm going to leave. I'm going to transfer. Well, with his ability to play multiple games, now you can say, all right, Demarius Hosey, we need you in this game. This is going to be the game that we're going to give you starter reps or, or you know, you're know, you going to be heavily in the rotation. Jaden Smith, your mom's coming to watch you play against Sun Utah. All right, we're going to get you involved in the game plan. We're going to throw you a touchdown. We're going to throw you a deep ball in the end zone. Prove it. Prove you can make a play. But don't you think that that sort of opportunity helps keep kids in It helps keeps kids in the program because now they're engaged. They can be a part of something. They're not burning their red shirt just by playing, but they're also not getting left out even when they believe that they might be more talented than some of the older guys in front of them. It seems like it's a great revitalization of what their psychology is within the program.
2: Right. And I think you'll lose so many of those guys, like you mentioned, the guys that maybe aren't a good fit or don't feel like they were fulfilled, the promise that they were given. Well, you'll you'll be able to split that in half by keeping some of those guys, by giving them some opportunity. You know, a guy like James Williams, the the, the short, stocky defensive tackle from Texas, who ended up getting a couple uh, played in a game or two, but didn't really play a whole ton after. They weren't really sure, sure what to do with this redshirt. It was the first year that that rule was able to be, and he's gone. Well, now you know that that guy might not be right for your program. It's an easier way to test the waters than absolutely nothing. It's it's not really an all or nothing thing. The couple games here and there can really, it's not necessarily leading kids on, but it does leave a little bit of bait on the hook for someone to really keep coming back and being invested in the program. After, you know, it's really hard to transfer after two, or especially three years. If you've been in a program for three years, it's not an easy to go somewhere else and reestablish yourself. So I, I do think for this style of program and for what, the way that Shoten has recruited uh the, the rule fits well for them and they've used it fairly well. I thought, you know, it's almost as good as anyone I've really seen.
0: And then you talk about the developmental aspect of this thing and now that's gonna be completely and utterly accelerated because whatever football might happen in the spring, if it does happen, you're playing with house money. A guy like Brody Greeby, who's an outside linebacker who was a huge recruit, a kid from Melstone, Montana, who went to a prep school out east and then really blew up, got a ton of offers and chose Montana State. Side note, by the way, people within the program rave reviews. They say he is absolutely as advertised. A guy that has uh, one one person in the know at Montana State told me that they're shocked he's not playing at a Pac-12 school. That's how talented he is. That's what his baseline talent is. And he, I mean, he, he, in the numbers, it, it shows. I mean, he reported at six three two thirty five. If you see pictures of the kid, he looks great. But you look at kids like that, guys like Elijah Elliott, who Jeff Choate singled out. You know, running back out of Portland, who's a really explosive guy out of Central Catholic High School, a guy like Sebastian Valdez, who pointed out, a defensive lineman from San Diego. Theoretically, if there's games in the spring, let's say there's a six-to-eight game schedule in the spring, you could start Sebastian Valdez the entire time and then evaluate him and then redshirt him in the fall. You also could start Elijah Elliott the entire time in the spring and, and you could play him four games in the fall and still redshirt him then as well. So now you have, this is all speculation, but let's say the maximum amount of games they're going to play is in in the spring is eight. And then you still have the four-game redshirt rule, which does not apply to the fall because the spring is a zero year no matter what. Then you have this scenario where you could have dudes right now who are either true and or redshirt freshmen that play in 12 games, a full season, they could play in all eight games in the spring and as many as four games in the fall and still redshirt. How much of an impact do you think that could have on guys' development? I mean, uh, do these guys that are freshmen right now have a chance to develop and become higher-level players than any class we've ever seen before them?
2: Yeah, I like what you're saying. I mean, at the end of the day, your your football life is only so long. So getting that much live game action – you know, guys sometimes don't even make it through two spring scrimmages, let alone if you play eight games as a young guy. So I, I, in theory, you're absolutely right. You're playing with house money. It's a, it's a very unique situation. You've got to roll the dice if you're a college program, or that is the situation where you do get spring games, which I'm still uncertain on if that's going to happen. But if you do, you do, you should play young guys. And, I mean, you've mentioned to me before, like if, if you're Montana State and you make the quarterfinals or you make the semifinals, the national semifinals, and this spring you go two and six. I mean, who really cares if you develop a bunch of young guys and get real playing time and you sit some older guys and wait till the fall and in the fall, you could, you could run the table. You you never know. So I like the idea of it. I do think that the opportunity is there. You know, we'll, we'll have to monitor it closely, but if you are playing with house money, I mean, you got to roll it. You got to let that thing fly. Cause I think that there's a ton of opportunity, especially as a recruiting model of showing that you're willing to play young guys and having successful stories Uh, of young recruits playing early and having success.
0: This is a question I asked Jeff Choate, but from a overall program standpoint, how important is it to maintain the guys you bring into your program? In other words, and I've talked about this on the Montana Grizzlies side of things too. People keep asking me what I think of what Coach Houck has done. And I think objectively he's done a great job in terms of getting the Grizz back to at least pursuit of that nationally elite level. They were in the final eight a year ago. They won 10 games. So you can say that they're, they're there. They're not where they once were, but they're on the right track. But I always tell people that, especially with Bobby Howe, he brings in these tall, skinny offensive linemen that have to be a part of the program for several years. And if they don't, it's not a plug-and-play deal. You're not going to just have dudes who are ready to play on the offensive line As redshirt freshmen, that's not part of the plan. So you have to cultivate depth, and then therefore you have to keep everybody around. So how important do you think that is, especially from the Montana State perspective? It seems to me they have really turned the corner because they had way less guys leave the program. I think a part of that is a testament to their culture. You have a global pandemic that's really affecting everybody's lives in not not a positive fashion in in any way. But they've had less roster attrition than in any of the previous years before this. So I think that's a testament to their program. But how important do you think it is for what Jeff Cholt wants to do, what he wants his program to be about?
2: I do think it's important. But, you know, I I think you mentioned it with two young men earlier who I'll leave unnamed. I don't know where you're really going to go as far as roster attrition right now. The uncertainty in college sports, in sports alone, in in life alone, leaves a lot of things where – I think any mentor in your life, whether it be your parents or an aunt or uncle, a former high school coach, a best friend, if you're like, hey, I'm not getting the playing time I want at Montana State, they're going to say, sit your butt there. you got nowhere to go. There's too much uncertainty in this world, which, again, I think all of these things are lining up as positives for what Jeff Chutz's program already uh, instills. So it, it's a reflection of things are falling back into line as college football really blew up, as, as the, the transfer portal in all of college sports really com- continues to extend, Jeff Choate is about family, football, tradition, um, you know, Montana itself. Those kind of things that he reps and that his program is a part of are now being reflected as what is important in life right now. If we can't play a college football season, so what's important? What kind of program do you want to be a part of? So those kind of things are playing into his hands in a good way because I think that at the end of the day, we're getting a little bit back to the basics, and the basics are the most important things in life. He's always preached the basics. So now when people are getting a clear picture of what the basics may look like, what life can look like within the realm of, of quote-unquote, the basics, it's playing into his hand beautifully, uh, into his program's hand beautifully. It's not him, and he'll be the first to say that. You know, after three or four years, the program really takes on a life of its own. He's definitely the mouthpiece for it. He's definitely the one to instill it, definitely one to reiterate it. Um, But where this, where Montana State's program is right now, they have, as I mentioned, the ability to plug and play transfers. They have the ability to develop young guys. They have the ability to recruit Montana and they have the ability to get splash players who will buy into a system and wait for their turn. I mean, It's a really good situation as far as what the college football landscape has looked like the last decade.
0: And it is such a good point too, because Chote has talked adamantly about a a similar. Here is what's so funny: is a lot of times some of these big time coaches and big time players make good points, and they don't articulate them well whatsoever. And Choate does such a good job of articulating it. So he hardly ever gets killed in the media, whether it's statewide, regionally, or nationally, for what he says. What he said was very similar to what Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence said, but Trevor Lawrence did it in a very aggressive and ad, uh, and um, sort of confrontational fashion when he said, the only place we need to be, the safest place we can be, is with our teammates. And people killed him, and they said... College campus has got to be one of the most dangerous places for a pandemic. You're going to be around thousands and thousands of people. There's no way to social distance. You guys are going to be partying. You're going to be around other people that are partying that maybe aren't taking the level of social responsibility. Jeff Choate said basically the exact same thing. He said, I want my guys, especially the ones from out of state, to be in Bozeman, Montana, because I know that if they are, I can take care of them. What I want them to have, shelter, safety, a sense of family. That's what he wants them to have. And he is able to provide that when they're in Bozeman, and he was resoundingly praised for that, justifiably so. I gave him great praise for that, but I just think it's a, it's interesting the way if you articulate it properly. But that, I think that's such a good point, though, Brooks. The fact that. These dudes, a lot of times, going home is not an option. You're going to go to a way worse situation to a family that maybe their parents have lost their jobs or they're you know in a hard spot financially because of the pandemic. They don't need another mouth to feed. You don't need to be living in Southern California. Stay in the place that's safe. Be around their, your teammates, which will become your family, and, and then just let it roll. See what happens. And I think it is a good point. I think that is one reason why... They have suffered a lot less attrition. Uh, a couple more things before we get you out of here, Brooks. I want to just rip through. I know me and you discussed when we were brainstorming this podcast. We don't want to go and delve into a bunch of player evaluations and stuff like that because we haven't seen these guys play point-blank period besides on Twitter highlights or whatever for almost 11 months. That's pretty crazy to say. The last time we watched Montana State compete in a live football situation was when they played North Dakota State in the Final Four of the FCS playoffs a year ago back in December. We didn't get any live action during spring. Didn't catch. They, Montana Montes did not have a spring. So there's nothing to really talk about. There's so many of the guys on the roster that we haven't even seen. But I do want to ask you just a couple things. A couple different roster moves and I just want to ask you what you think of those roster moves. First and foremost, uh, when you're just scrolling down this thing, James Campbell, who's played receiver for the last couple years, had a hard time getting on the field, but has really been a standout on special teams. He's been an all-big sky guy, covering kicks. Uh, a junior out of Palatka, Florida. He's now moved to corner. What do you think of that move?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he'll play defensive back at the very least. I mean, I could see him more as a safety, right? Uh, prov- providing depth in, in those spots. I, I could also see him at nickel and, and blitzing. You know, he, he's a guy that can get home so fast. It's every now and then. Jeff Choate sounds crazy in the sense that you know we want we want to have thirty five quarterbacks on the roster, former quarterback, high school quarterback. We we want. Uh, Jahari Martin who's a, a you know an all-league a Florida linebacker to play running back for us and move the guys around uh, you know versatility is the most important attribute sometimes it just doesn't work sometimes it seems a little bit crazy this is the kind of position where it's like is James Campbell going to be at Montana State for 5 years and never play like that that would be that would be a disservice to your program and to the kid get him get him on the field i mean he is an all-league style special teams player as you mentioned he can cover kicks he can tackle Give him a shot. There's no better time than now. I love the
0: move. Well, it's not like he's a four-star receiver that came to Montana State either. He's a quarterback. He's an athlete, You know, like They, right. they just got him because he was fast so he could run, and you got to give him all the credit in the world for buying into what they want him to do. I mean, because he's as far away from home as anybody on the roster, uh, so that's definitely a good thing. Uh, Montana State, they brought in. Well, I think one of the key positions we're going to be watching in terms of what they need to replace is at the safety position. They had, in my opinion, the best pair of safeties in the Big Sky, Braden Conkle and Jacque Allen a year ago, and it would be interesting to see if they uh, remove, keep Tai Okada there or what they do at the safety spot to fortify the depth. But uh, Chacho Alula, who is a graduate transfer from the University of Arizona, and Jeffrey Manning, who is a transfer, drop-down transfer from Oregon State – Those two guys are guys they brought in to at least compete at those spots and most likely probably take the spots. In the press release in terms of the guys that they listed as players to watch, Jeffrey Manning was one of those, so I think that indicates that he probably has at least an upper hand in terms of winning one of those safety spots. But, Brooks, how important are those safety spots broadly and how how dire is the need for them to have at least one of those transfers hit at those spots?
2: I think it's the most important uh, position battle, if you will, or, or position to watch on, on the team. Um, you know, it's been the flagship of of their football team for the last since Jeff Schultz has been there. Since Kane Ke- Ione has uh, uh, been a part of that program, and, you know, even his brief hiatus, um, it is kind of where they rely on uh, the quarterback of the defense, for lack of a better term, for a little bit of a cliche. It really doesn't, you know. The middle linebacker calls a lot in in, in K9 defense and a Jeff Choate's scheme, but overall, I mean, it really is whether the numbers, the tackle numbers, the interception numbers, whether or not those come from the safety. It really is a safety-driven system, and to be honest, most of football is, um, which is funny because you know when we look at the NFL; it's one of the the lowest-paid positions, and I, I think which is just egregious. But yes, it truly is. I think it is the lowest behind running back. Um, it is the most replaceable position there is in the NFL. When In college, it really is someone who gets a few, full view of the defense, but also in this league, in the Big Sky Conference, you have to be able to have guys who can help in, in, in run fits, guys that can come up in, 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 and actually play at the line of scrimmage, as well as cover a variety of spread offenses and a variety of, of, of air assault, um, quarterback-driven football. Uh, whether it's Eastern Washington, whether it's Northern Arizona, whether it's uh, at times, Weber State will run four wide, even though they want to be a power run team. We see Montana State go four wide in in shotgun, and, and whether or not they run it, they still have the look where the safety becomes such a pivotal point. Montana, Montana State have both been safety-driven defenses for as long as we can remember. Northern Arizona has been that way. At times, Weber State has as well. Uh, I think it's a very important position in the league, and I think it's the number one thing to watch on the team. You know, everyone will want to want to figure out what the quarterbacks are going to do. They got ten of them. Uh, they got some that can run, some that can throw, some that are six ten, some that are five ten. <laughs> I think that that's all irrelevant, and it's proven to be irrelevant. Um, I think that safety and those two transfers, whether or not they can play, whether or not they can produce right now immediately, um, come fall is going to be the most important part of of the. The evaluation of Montana State, where they're at right now, roster
0: one Yeah, it was, uh, it's one of the great revelations I've had in my conversations with Mike Kramer, the big human. We were rapping one day, and yeah, I mean, you know how it goes with Cramer. Sometimes you just start talking, and then you start figuring things out together because you just you're each bouncing things off. But I remember talking to him and interviewing him, and that was the one consensus that we came to was that having the best pair of safeties in the league is actually the most indicative factor towards winning the Big Sky Conference, more than quarterback. There's been plenty of times when Vernon Adams or you know, Kevin Thompson have led their teams to Big Sky Conference titles. There's also been plenty of times when uh, you know guys like Cole Berkowitz and Andrew Sill, who are really good quarterbacks at the University of Montana, but they were playing with Shan Schillinger and Colt Anderson. You know, you look back to the early Grizz teams, Vince Huntsberger and Trey Young, guys like that. Uh, and it, you know, even when the teams that have kind of popped up. Like how important was Patrick Patrick Onwasser at Portland State or Miles Kilbrew at Southern Utah? Those dudes they had NFL safeties and they won league titles. Lucky
2: Dozier at Northern Arizona.
0: Exactly, right. Like those those dudes were on league title teams because th- when your safety is your best player in this league, you're right. It gives you such a huge advantage because of the game planning because you might play Weaver State one week and Portland State the next week and Easter Washington the next week and Montana the next week and Montana State the next week. To have a guy that can adjust to all of those systems, it's crucial. It's absolutely pivotal.
2: It really is, man. So yeah, I mean there's defensively, it's a defensive driven team. I mean, it's a run first team, it's gonna be. It's a, it's an offensive line driven team, it's a it's a defensive minded team. Whether it's the linebackers, whether it's defensive line, I think both of those positions in a, in this scheme will always be able to produce because it's a team driven scheme and they really do find a way to get seven hats on the football. So at the end of the day, open field tackling and not allowing deep threats is going to be what drives their success.
0: In the passing game, I know we're going to have our eyes on the quarterback. That's been the number one thing we've been looking at for the Montana State Bobcats since Jeff Choate took over. It's always going to be a dominant storyline any program, anywhere in the country. But on the outside, they lose Kevin Kastis, they lose Travis Johnson. They bring back some guys that have gotten some snaps, guys like Willie Patterson, guys like Lance McCutcheon, but they've been such a run-heavy system. Most often the most explosive opportunities the guys on the perimeter get are actually in the run game. But there's been rave reviews from inside the program as well as from the head coach about guys like Charles Brown or early enrollee from Arlington, Texas. We know we, we mentioned Jaden Smith. You know, Tyrone Marshall showed flashes a year ago. They brought in a junior college guy, Naquan Parker, and then another junior college guy in Tavion Williams. Tavion Williams, the younger brother, of Amandre Williams, and they just keep stacking and stacking and stacking wide receivers. We're amazed to be seeing how talented some of these young guys are. But Jeff Chodick keeps saying, hey, we might have lost two premier, really productive, great leaders at the wide receiver position in Kevin Cassis and Travis Johnson. But I think we've upgraded our talent significantly. My question for you, though, Brooks, because I know you have not seen most of those guys ever even play. What is the actual key, though, for those guys to remain engaged and become a part of this offense? Where, not not who, but where does the Montana State passing game need to grow to continue to emphasize the guys they have on the perimeter in more than just run and fly sweeps and throwing them the occasional bubble screen?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know the answer for those young guys because my answer before your question would have been that it's going to be hard for them to stay engaged. Right. I don't know how that really works. I, I think that this this roster needs to have huge steps from. I, I think in in this order because it may be a little bit inverse of importance, but in this order, it needs to be Willie Patterson. Is he the real? Is he a dude or not? Is Willie Patterson going to be a player or is he not? Is he a gadget or is he a player? Willie Patterson. Hey, you
0: talk about Willie Patterson. You talk about the red shirt rule. I was going through this when I did my roster update update story. Willie Patterson has just missed. Willie Patterson's a true junior right now which is such a bummer for him because he's played in, I think, 11 games as a Bobcat. He played in six games and five games, so he never got that extra year of eligibility. If he just would have gotten hurt one game earlier, he would have been able to maintain a year and have a year left, and it's it's just too bad for him, but you're right. It it is a big year for him because I think that they loved him coming out of spring out of his redshirt year. So, excuse me, he's not true junior. He did have the redshirt year, but he hasn't been able to gain a year of eligibility back. But they loved him, and then he's been banged up, he's been a dude but then, you know, when he gets hurt, then guys like Coy Steele have stepped up and had great production, so he's kind of gotten lost in the
2: mix, anyways, carry on It's Willie Patterson, That's Peyton Hanser. this is all my opinion, it's Peyton Hanser because looks the part, is Lance McCutcheon 2.0, but is Lance McCutcheon enough, do you want to be Lance McCutcheon 2.0, or do you want to be better than that, he looks the part, he's had opportunities I like his work ethic, I like a lot of things about him um, I also really like I think that you talked about Tyron Marshall like Tyron Marshall could be back uh, a guy if he takes a step um, And that, after that then there's the the, the Parker uh, the Parker kid the keen Parker the transfer I yep. think he could play a pivotal role and then Jane Jane Smith is right there as well So those guys all have to take some kind of step. Like, I'm not looking at the young brand new guys necessarily as much as I'm looking at those guys who are all, let's give them ratings, Madden ratings. They're in the 70s. They're all guys who are 74, 76s, 78s. They're all guys with speed. Some guys can catch. Some guys are possession receivers. Who takes the, the jump to be an 88? We're talking about being an all-league guy. Who takes the jump to be a 92? Yeah. Can Lance McCutcheon be a second-team all-league guy? Yeah. You know, I I think that it's probably in his in his abilities. Will they give him the opportunities? I'm not sure. But I think that in that order, I think that the the Willie Patterson. Peyton Hanser's, Tyron Marshall's. What does that look like? Are those guys going to take a big step?
0: Do you have to get elevated reps to take the next step?
2: No, you have to get elevated opportunities. So being right. on the field compared to being having something scripted for you is a whole different game. Yes, um, I don't know if this offense will ever script anything for anybody. As far as I'm concerned, if you have a, I, they script they a lot of friends, shit for Troy
0: Anderson. <laughs> Well,
2: yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but I, I, I know. Always, I, know exactly I play my left. My, I play my left tackle at quarterback. But um, <laughs> they never. They've never been like. You've never seen the play action where everyone ran hitches and one guy's streaking down the field. You're like, oh, this is the Lance McCutcheon play. It just doesn't really happen. So maybe it will. You know, you can never say never. But my one want for the offense. I'm interested to hear what you think about this. And I've said this forever. Anyone who's listened to this podcast. God dang it if I haven't said talk about fullbacks and tight ends. If this program can't develop a tight end who runs a crossing route for eight yard catch, I-, I just don't know what this program even is. The thing is it if seems like they're develop they seems like they're developing it,
0: they just don't throw it.
2: Right. But if you that's what I mean. But like if if Ryan Lonergan is not gonna have a season with with three hundred and eighty yards and right. three touchdowns, right. I just don't know what, what a run first power run offense, yeah. the whole program is built off it. Right. How can't you have five tight ends? I mean, if you, I've been, I have sat on the field two feet away from the last seven years from Weber State and uh, North Dakota State and South Dakota State and Montana and at times Portland State. Southern Utah will do it. Everyone has 6'4, 255 pound tight ends that can block and catch the ball. They have Connor Solvin, who the Montana State had for four full years. And everyone gets catches. Everyone has leaky tight end touchdowns, except Montana State. There might be two or three in the last couple years. I can't believe it's not more. It should be ten touchdowns a year from some broody, amazing, and maybe it's Brody Grebke, like you said. Maybe they move right. him over to tight end. Right. Someone like that. I just cannot believe that, that hasn't happened in this program.
0: Ryan Davis is a true senior, and he's never caught a pass.
2: Think about, it's just, it. Think it's about almost that. Almost ludicrous. He, like he's played like, so
0: I, much, he plays all the time. And he's a great player. He gets he blo- he's a great blocker. He does his job. Again,
2: but he, I've stood, I've stood next to him. I've talked to him. I know him. He's a horse. Right. If you were to give me a list of guys that I don't want to tackle on Montana State who have the opportunity to get the ball, he'd be in the top five. So why wouldn't you give the guy who you don't want to tackle the ball? It just doesn't. There's no rhyme or reason. And like I mentioned, Ryan Lonergan had so many flashes last year. When you go to practice, Colby. Agree with me on this. Mm-hmm. If you go to practice, you see the tight ends catch the ball all the time, right? All the time, right? Lauder was fucking people up this time. first fall camp. All the time, he's had the ball all the time. He's in open field. It's like, oh, this is going to be sweet. Won't even touch the field, let alone catch pass. I, I don't get that part of this. So when you're talking about, I, I, I th- it
0: really comes. I, I, like I seriously think. That. I, I seriously think this is the this is it though. I really think the last two years, they have the ability to do all this stuff. They know they do. When then they get in the game and they start running power and they start running counter and they start running gap scheme and they just are just trashing people because they're just getting seven yards of carry. I mean, there was a point during last year, I mean, consider this. They were down four scores against Northern Arizona at home and they didn't throw the ball and they, ran, they won going away. They ran the ball 26 consecutive times to overcome a 24-point deficit and win going away. So I think that's really, it is, it's a give and take because it's like Jeff Choate <laughs> said, it. he said this, he said this after the Portland State game when they, I think they set the school or at least threatened the school record for rushing yards in the game. This was Chris Murray's last year. This is 2017 and Murray completed two passes that afternoon, but the cats rushed for 450 plus. And in the post game press conference, somebody asked him about the lack of a passing game and he said, you want to know what guys, he said, why would I ever Throw the ball if I could rush the ball for 450 yards, and I think that's really what it comes down to. I think they have all this stuff, but then they run power counter, power counter, a little fly sweep. The edge is pressed, and then they're just like drooling over all the yards that they're. I mean, think about it, man. They had like six different running backs rush for 100 yards last year. Like they, they can put anybody back there, and he can have a day.
2: Yeah, I agree. I just, I, I mean. When I watched North Dakota State, yeah, this this year, their one game, uh, their, their fullback, well, I can't remember his name. He looked like an adult. <laughs> he looked like a full-grown man to me. Pretty sure, pretty sure he scored two touchdowns. Like. It's about wearing out a defense. Yeah, like, You it is. can't tell me that when Troy Anderson and Isaiah Fonse have knee braces on that you want to pound the rock with the same guy over and over again. Yeah. Well, we have a couple of them, like you said. We'll give it to a freshman, or we'll give it to a, uh, a guy who's not even on scholarship. Maybe give it to R.J. Fitzgerald. Four yards? I bet you it hurts. I bet yep. you it hurts somebody, yep. not yep. physically, not that they're out of the game, but I bet you that their heads are rattled. It seems like a way to throw a jab instead of just constantly throwing haymakers. Like yep. haymakers are great, and every now and then you get an uppercut. We'll set up something with a little jab, you know. Just give a little jab. Get a little t- leaky tight end five-yard out, you know. A tight end for an out sounds great.
0: Yeah, and I think it is the next progression of their offense, particularly because they've done a really good job recruiting the position, too, though, because you already have guys in the program like Ryan Davis, who is a senior. He's established. You know exactly what he can give you in terms of what you've asked of him. But then you have a guy like Derek Snell, who showed flashes last year, and he did catch two touchdowns, the only two tied-in tied touchdowns on the team last year, if I'm not mistaken. RJ Fitzgerald's a great H-back. When you talk about some of their young guys that they've brought in, I think that what about Jacob Hadley? You didn't tell me that Jacob Hadley's not going to catch a pass in, 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 in his career. Right. And Choate Cho was talking about him extensively. Seems the other ludicrous. Day. I know. He's ludicrous. And hey. Ryan, Ryan Logan has a ton of potential, too. But the, the number one guy that I'm so intrigued by because I thought that uh, I remember being on the East Side Swing Tour with Leon Costello, Montana State Athletic Director, and some of the other administrators of Montana State. And we were at our last stop at uh, Roundhouse Ribs in Shelby. And uh, a kid. Walked in to introduce himself to Jeff Cho. And he was like this six foot four, 195-pound kid who's just lean and long. But I was like, Man, that's a good looking athlete right there. And I heard him introduce himself. He said, Hey coach, my name's Trayton. And I remember following this kid after that. And it turns out it's Trayton Pickering from Sunburst. Well the dude is, the dude's not 195 anymore. He's like 250. Gosh. And like the pictures you have of dude. him, he has such an unbelievable so. body. He's so big. And he he had such a bad situation because he blew his knee in the Shrine game. So he was behind the eight ball all the way. But then last year during fall camp, that was the first guy when I grabbed my roster. I was like, who the hell is that guy? And then you realize, oh my god, that guy's only a redshirt he looks freshman. looks even
2: better, dude. I saw—I've seen him in the last month, and it's like, what in the fuck is this guy? Exactly, like, man. Amazing. He's His am, body he's, is amazing. He's
0: amazing. He looks—he looks so much right. like the old school Grizz tight ends, except for he's even more fluid and more lean than that. And so that's—he's that. a lot like Connor Sullivan. He's bigger he than is. that. Though. He is. He's big. He's way bigger than Connor Sullivan. No, for sure, he is. And he and is. But he looks like, like a receiver, like that. He's less jerky of an athlete, though. Too. He has—he's such—he's so fluid. And I just—he's a guy that I got my eye on. That's—that is the ultimate he's testament. Not a
2: league body. Dude. That, that's what I'm saying. He's like this that guy, the ball. That's
0: what I'm saying. That's the ultimate testament to what you're saying. Because like, there's a lot of different ways to look big. I mean, Ryan Davis is really big. He's six four two sixty five. But like, as far as that league, Cowboy, that he's league right. look though that you're talking about, like Pickering is the number one dude that they got on offense. And, and and he has and he most is. bobcat fans don't really know about him and I don't know where his development's at what his hands are like or any of that stuff but man he's a good looking kid and he's definitely a guy I'm gonna have my eyes on for sure
2: yeah and I, you know they have some they have some big dudes they they, they have a lot of guys that look the part but it's the way your muscles are shaped you know when you talk about training Pickering that's what you're talking about is the muscles are shaped different the calves look different you know the quads the hamstrings. The back, the elbows, the forearms, they look a little different. It's just a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit more potential. If you got guys like potential like that. You just never know, man. We've, You and I have been around so many guys that are walk-ons that literally had no chance. They got one play drawn up for them, and they caught the ball. And then they had a second play and a third play and 145 catches later there in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you have to give the ball – you have to give it to a guy sometime. Like I, And the, the other thing I say, is it's, no, it's not anyone's choice or hope or you know the reason of their offense. But when your two best, your two most talented players in the last five years are inside, Isaiah Fonse and Troy Anderson, and they both cannot finish seasons and both might not play the next season due to injuries, you might want to spread it around a little bit.
0: No doubt. No doubt. And it's obviously not a toughness issue with those guys. Those guys are the two toughest dudes in the program, so...
2: <laughs> right it's just uh it's just a, a, a reality to
0: it's a reality for sure anything else anything else you're gonna be having your eye on tomorrow
2: you know i mean i think the number one thing for anyone including me but let alone just a, a casual fan who's interested in montana state is you want to see matt mckay you want to see the no quarterback question. transfer from north north carolina state i mean it's just at the end of the day i've seen him walking i've seen him in in town i've seen him in town and country I've is he is he I, really six i get it i is he really 6'4"? Yeah, four? He's, a, he's a big – the thing – he is. But the thing is that that makes him small in his quarterback room. <laughs> no Casey question. Because Bobby Bauman's really 6'8", and Tucker Rope is like truly – I mean, with shoes on like – I saw Tucker Robic two weeks ago. I mean, dude is – I'm 6'2". He's huge. He's huge.
0: I mean, he's yeah. Huge. No, he's 6'5". So, for sure. I
2: mean, his calves – his calves are – he's a big guy, you know. Yeah. So, but Matt McCabe, like he is – I would say he's all of 6'3", with shoes on, you no, know, taller. He looked great when he – I saw him, but he's a little bit slighter of body – but you know you really? want to see mm-hmm. where the throwing motion comes from. I mean, not slight, but like you know, your ankle, he's got a little bit of a skinnier ankle than Robig and, and, and yeah, Bauman do, yeah, 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 Bauman. yeah. A little bit of a skinny ankle, which is which is you know, which is a, could be a great thing. You could still weigh two twenty and have different ankle types, you know, but different ankle types usually mean a little bit different, a little bit different jukies, a little bit different in the open field. But yeah. at the end of the day, like we've seen so many guys come through here, whether it's Travis Johnson or Casey Bauman or Tucker Robig or Dakota Fruit Cup or. Um, whoever you want to... Tyler Brugman. Chris Murray. The release... The, Chris Murray, when they, when they take one, two, three step, they put the ball above their shoulder and they, they throw it. It's just like in baseball. I know how you swing now. I, I saw your baseball swing. It's not ever really going to be different. And, like, some guys have great baseball swings, some guys don't. Everyone I just named doesn't have the best baseball swing I've ever seen. So I, I want to see if they got a quarterback who throws it like a, like a real deal... FBS quarterback right. on his film. He looks like that. You know, like that's not a knock on any of these guys I mean Tucker Robic had a really good season last year at being the incumbent I think he does have a leg up because no matter what the amount of pressure he has faced the amount of criticism He has taken from us let alone everyone else He really did push a team to propel a team to a really amazing place in the national level. He did But I want to see like if Matt McKay has that juice that magic you can see it You know like we always talked about in Division one they might be, what, 300 Division One teams? That's probably too much. Maybe 240. Yeah, there's
0: 240.
2: If you count the FCS.
0: Yeah, 240.
2: 240. So that really means that there's only about 265 quarterbacks in the country that can really have play. And of those 265, there's probably less than 200 that have magic. And every now and then you'll see it in the, in the big sky. You see it quite a bit. And every now and then you'll see it all across the FCS. But Matt McKay could be a guy where you see him throw five passes and you're like, he's got magic. And that would be a huge thing for Montana State, a huge decision point, but it could be a huge propelling point of putting them at the next level of going to a national championship. So that clearly I think is the most interesting thing. What What do you think is the most interesting thing that, that you're looking
0: for? Well, I'll just rip through real quick, because, uh, and you can stop me if any you have know, thoughts on any of these. But uh, number one, there is a couple guys that are from out of state that have been – back home taking online classes that will be back for the spring. The number one guy I can report is Munchie Filer, senior cornerback. So anybody that's been following the social media, he's been tweeting talking about being excited for his last year at Montana State, supporting his teammates, but he's also been tweeting about being in California. And, you know, he tweeted a picture of him like running in the sand on the beach the other day or whatever. So, Uh, If you're wondering where he's at, that's where he's at. But I'm just going to rip through a couple guys as I look through the roster as far as guys I want to see. And you can stop me if you've seen any one one of these guys that you want to make a comment on. But I thought uh, one guy Jeff Choate's talked about extensively I think is such an intriguing prospect is Eric Zambrano. He played a ton last year at both safety and corner as a freshman. He did not get his redshirt because he was able to play enough. I think he played in 10 games. But he's 6'2", 210, and he can he really can play corner. So he's a dude that I want to have my eye on. That Definitely a guy Jeff Choate singled out. I want to see Tommy Malott in action. I was really impressed with Tommy Malott, quarterback from Butte, when I saw him live and in person last year uh, in two different games and they've, there's been good returns on him so far. Uh, they've, everybody in the program said that Charles Brown might be the first guy they've seen in the program that's faster than Troy Anderson. If that's actually true, that's a huge uh, dividend for Montana State uh, in terms of the, the – freshman receiver and he was also an early enrollee the first early enrollee in the history of montana state so he joined the team in january graduated high school early uh, so i think that's a big deal josh allen's a guy i'm going to be definitely have my eye on he's a graduate transfer from the university of colorado he was the number one junior college linebacker in the country uh, coming out of junior college went to colorado obviously didn't like it there's been a lot of guys that have gone to colorado lately and not liked it uh, but he's a dude that it seems like he looks the part and everybody thinks that he's a dude. So that could be a, a welcome addition uh, to their linebacker crew. I want to see Brody Greeby live and in person. Brody Greeby is a, a dude who uh, I the first time I ever watched his film and did some research on him and then. Realized what he was and what he became, and the fact that he went to a prep school, bet on himself, and then ended up choosing Montana State over elevated offers. Uh, It's an impressive story, and I think that he's a guy that that, that's the type of guy that has always been the bread and butter of the Montana programs. Guys that are, uh, you know, from Bellstone, Montana, that never never would be at this level unless they grew up in Montana, but they choose this level because they love Montana. And then they blow up and become all-time great players at those schools. Uh, A couple guys that aren't going to be playing much.
2: Really, really quick, really quickly about Grebby, I, I just, I will. College recruiters. I hope that all the entire country is listening to this. They're all a bunch of recruiting D1 guys. They're like, well, all I do is recruit Division one players. If you got a dude with a forty plus inch vert who weighs over two ten and he can just cram it. He's on the basketball court, and he can dunk it from every single spot in the court. I don't know how Alabama's not offering you. Like right. You, <laughs> right. If, if you have a 40-inch vert, if, 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 if the physiological makeup of, of people isn't understandable to you, if you can jump, you can run. There is no one who has a 40-inch vert who isn't fast. It, does, it can't happen. They're the same thing. Right. So if you have a 40-inch vert and you weigh 220, I just don't, like, I just, it's everything you'd ever want a football player. I just, I can't believe he's here. I'm excited for it, too. Keep going.
0: Well, that, that's the thing. It's like, when you look at him, and then you're like, wait a minute. This guy was the state champion in the 100 meters. Like, I know it's Class C, but the dude ran 11 flat, and he's 6'3", 245 pounds. Like, what? How, I, that's,
2: dude, his Troy his Anderson, bounce, Troy dude. Anderson
0: was only, people got, people got to remember that Troy Anderson was only 6'3", 205, to ten coming out of high school, he wasn't as big as Grody B- Troy's probably a little bit taller, but he's not as big as Brody
2: I promise you he wasn't doing 360s on baseline in, in basketball. I promise.
0: I mean, Brody Gritty scored 3,000 points. Again, you can say it's class C all you want. It doesn't matter, dude. The dude dropped 50 in multiple games last year. Or two years ago.
2: It can be homeschool one-on-one versus mom. I don't give a shit.
0: <laughs> it's, it's so true. Uh, ripping through the roster a little bit more. Uh, Kyle Finch is a guy I got my eye on because Finch has – I loved him when he was coming out of high school, and he's definitely bought into everything they ever wanted him to do. But I thought that he was stuck being a tweener at the buck spot because he's just not quite athletic enough to play that spot. I should say not athletic enough. He's just not quite quick twitch enough. But the fact that he put on weight – and now he's up to 250 255 and he's going to play the other side. I think that actually is a good move and I think that he could be I think he good be good there. I mean, what do you think of Finch cuz this is kind of now or never for him. He's a senior and he's waited his turn. He's contributed, but yeah. uh,
2: it's a, it's such an unfair thing to say and if he were to hear this, I would I would certainly feel bad because I have a lot of respect for the work that he puts in. I know it, I know it's a ton. He's always been, like, an academically driven guy. For sure. Um, you know, when I see when I see all these guys, I go to town and country all the time on, on campus because I sell beer and wine there. And uh, I, I saw him three times in the last month, and he just hasn't changed at all. Like, he right. looks the exact same. Yeah. And it's, like, not underwhelming. It's just like, oh, that guy's pretty big. But, like, I don't know if the first thing I'd think of him in flip-flops and a fishing hat is, like, oh, that guy plays football. Right. It's just not really what you... I, I don't know. He doesn't necessarily... And again, like being academically driven and being a really good player and being a really good role player is nothing to hold hang your head about, you know. But yeah. like I say, I mean, I saw him. He could gain weight, maybe not. He looked the same to me as he's looked for four straight years.
0: Well, they're gonna put him on there. They're, I mean, he he has an inside track as a starting spot. Cause I know they they really like all the work he's done within the program, and he should
2: start. I think yeah. they, I think he can be a plug and a great player. I just don't think he's ever gonna have fifty tackles.
0: Sure, know? for sure, no doubt. Last guy I want to see is Ben Seymour. He's a junior college transfer, as a D tackle. Mm,
2: yeah, yeah. And uh, For sure.
0: I know I'm in the severe minority here. Anytime I see a dude who's an interior defensive lineman who's less than six foot two, who's on a full ride, that's the dude who I know I'm gonna ride yeah. with. Uh, The whole prototype, like, you're only getting 6'4", 285-pound Chase Benson once every 10 years. That that guy's only coming out of Helena, Montana every once in a while. But then these recruiters, these college coaches, they don't want to give the Tucker Yateses of the world a chance. Why not? Who's more miserable to block than the 5'11 guy? That guy's way harder to block, especially at this level. And so I've heard a lot of things. You know, when you look at a guy, I mean, he's listed at 6'1", 233. I mean, that's like... What I should be, you know, and he's playing defensive tackle, right? right. Uh, the, the, you know, though, that he's tough as hell. If that if he got a shot on this team, and I I would trust Jeff Choate. His defensive line recruiting has been better than any other position on the team. So, uh, should be a fun, should be fun to evaluate all this. Uh, Brooks, I know you got to go, uh, but Big Sky breakdown. SkyonSportsMT.com. You can find it uh, a little bit more often in these upcoming weeks because we'll actually have a few things to evaluate. So we're going to do another Bobcat by the Numbers podcast series after we see these guys. We've been I broke down the rosters in terms of the changes in weights and positions for the entire roster. You can check that out, SkyonSportsMT.com. We'll actually have evaluations of all these guys after we see the scrimmage, or at least most of these guys, depending on who plays. Uh, so t- stay tuned for more Big Sky Breakdowns in the next couple weeks. And as always, thanks for all the support. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about. So follow us at Skyline Sports MT or at Brooks Nuanas or at Coulter underscore Nuanas. We have all those Twitter handles, and we'll have updates from you, for you from the scrimmage, and we'll also have feedback and uh, some post game press conference and reactions from players and coaches as well. So uh, Brooks, thanks so much for doing it. Appreciate it, man, and uh, can't wait to watch some live football tomorrow.
2: Yeah, me too, man. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, I heard uh, a gal, Bethany Cordell down at uh, Montana State say, oh man, I've been so sad. It's been such a nice fall. We should be spending these falls in football stadiums. And I couldn't agree more, uh, but it's been nice to be with the fam a little bit after this long grind of, of, of a good solid five years. of 12 months a year. Uh, football fans, Bobcat fans, Montana fans, uh, we miss being with you every day. We're going to be back there so soon. We're all... The light is at the end of the tunnel, whether it's uh, at the end of this week or the end of this year. Uh, we will be back to being in stadiums sooner than later, and I certainly look forward to it. But pads will be clicking tomorrow, which is a good thing for me.
0: College Athletics is a fundamental part of the fabric of our communities in Montana, and it's the stories of these young men and women that drive our passion at Skyline Sports. Colter Nuwana is here. In 2015, my brother Brooks and I founded SkylineSportsMT.com. As a lifelong athlete, Brooks has an elite knowledge of football with a deep perspective with his time spent playing safety for the Montana Grizz football team While I won a collection of sports writing awards, including 2010 Washington Sports Writer of the Year, during my time in newspapers, together we can offer you the best sports journalism in the state with crisp writing, unbiased reporting, cutting-edge photography, and a grassroots feel that belies the corporate takeover of modern media this day and age. As Montana natives, we have a deep historical knowledge of the fiercest rivalry in the West. We share a combined 22 years' experience involved in the Big Sky Conference. That experience gives us unparalleled knowledge of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics. If you'd like to experience this with us, visit Skyline Sports and. MT.com and subscribe for only $8 a month or $90 a year. It's Every day, every season.